Welcome to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of Iowans with a print disability. So taking a look at the front page of today's courier, um, first we have a large photo and the headline is Angelic Presence and the subtitle is Holiday Spirit and it shows a woman loading a sack of toys into a shopping cart. Um, the second story on the front page is Permanent Housing for Mentally Ill Discussed and we'll start there. It says housing program could provide permanent shelter to vulnerable communities. This is from Maria Kuiper. The Black Hawk County Jail is at capacity. Local organizations are looking for a solution to help a majority of its population. The Black Hawk Grundy County Mental Health Center presented its plan to the Black Hawk County Board of Supervisors earlier this month to create a permanent housing facility for people with mental illnesses who are frequently in a correctional facility. The supervisors requested an update on the proposed project, which was first introduced two years ago. Director Tom Yukus, that's E-A-C-H-U-S, said he's been working with people who have mental illness in the area for 35 years and that he, along with others in local human service organizations, have identified the need to address the shortage of housing for those with mental illnesses and high recidivism rates. Quote, they come back to the community, but they don't make it in community-based housing for a number of reasons and go back to jail and prison, he said, stating many people burn bridges with landlords in town, making it nearly impossible to find a place to live. We've got to do something different for this population, which tends to clog up our jail and prison system, he said. That clog has resulted in the jail being completely full. Sheriff Tony Thompson said the facility has 272 beds, but has had to transfer 15 inmates out of the county in the last week. A lot of those inmates are frequently in jail. The recidivism rate is dramatic, Thompson said. I could pull 15 names and you would see hundreds of arrests. Yukas said people living in jails or any other institutions causes them to become dependent on those sources. I'm hoping we can get rid of institutionalization and get back to community-based care and not jail, prison, the back of police cars, and mental health units, Yukas said. His solution is a permanent housing facility at the site of the former Allstott Langless Bakery off of Lafayette Street. The complex would help stabilize, would help people rather, stabilize their mental health and substance abuse disorders and help reintegrate them into society without relying on the criminal justice system. The proposed two-story building would have 24 efficiency apartments for single occupancy. The construction of the building is estimated to cost $7.4 million. Tenants would be people who are chronically homeless, in and out of correction facilities, and have a mental illness, substance abuse disorder, or physical disability. Sources of funding for the project have yet to be identified, but organizers are expecting to apply for grants. These people can live in the housing complex for as long as they want. There would be no limit on how long someone can live there. Ben Brustkern, the executive director of Friends of the Family, said there are currently 128 households 
that are on a waiting list for services, with more than 50% of those being single male households. Along with a roof over their head, tenants would have case managers who would teach them how to be a good tenant and work with landlords, financial literacy, how to properly take medication, and the importance of staying up to date with their health. Quote, for so long, housing programs would kick people out if they violated rules, Breskern said. You want to make sure people feel comfortable, feel connected to the community, help increase their income, and make sure the resources they need to be successful are there, unquote. A lack of support in long-term housing options results in a lot of people with mental illnesses being placed in jail. Thompson said his staff can help 80% of inmates with mental health issues find community-based placement, but the other 20% are harder to place due to the severity of their mental illness. Quote, they fall off the wagon more quickly, and they just continually get caught up in criminality, he said. He said those with mental illnesses can have a harder time posting bond and working through the criminal justice system. Many of those inmates are charged with things like public intoxication, disorderly conduct, or trespassing, simple misdemeanors, and they stay in the jail longer than they should. Quote, the county jail becomes the largest mental health provider in Blackhawk County, and that's not what we're equipped to do. It's not why we exist, Thompson said. It's not just wrong to criminalize the mentally ill. It's wrong to put them in a place that's not what we are structured for, unquote. He said when he took office in 2009, he had no idea how big of an issue mental illness would be in his administration. He said the problem escalated when former Governor Terry Branstead closed the Mount Pleasant and Clorinda mental health institutions in 2015. That resulted in a 20, or excuse me, a 75% reduction in available beds. Quote, we're not undoing this problem anytime soon, he said. We're very much in the middle of squarely an issue that has been created through apathy and neglect in government missteps, and the bottom of the funnel is the county jail because we're convenient, unquote. Although the problem won't be completely solved, the local human services community hopes permanent housing will provide a solution for some members of the population. Bruskern said someone's issues cannot be addressed until people have a roof over their head. The permanent housing model is a newer idea, Bruskern said. Traditional housing was a model used nationwide until 2012, and then there was a movement toward rapid rehousing and permanent housing. Rapid rehousing is getting someone into a place that allows them to not pay rent and utility bills for up to two years. Once that time is up, a tenant would pay those bills in full. He said rapid rehousing is more cost-effective, but the price of permanent housing pays off. Quote, we're kind of addressing long-term barriers, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and long-term trauma, Brustkern said. And his quote continues, Permanent support housing is so important because it's a true stabilizer. Transitional housing makes you leave the housing you're in, unquote. Along with people receiving housing and support services, the new building could positively affect other systems in the community. Thompson said the amount of demand could be reduced in emergency services, ambulance rides, emergency room visits, hospital intakes, jail intakes, and criminal justice referrals. Quote, that impact is like throwing a stone. The ripple effects are going to be huge, Yukas said. 
He continued, this is an awesome opportunity for this community to move closer to ending homelessness, Breskern said. This really addresses a population that needs support and will make the community safer and better. The other story on the front page, Angelic Presence. Salvation Army plays Santa to 800 kids with help of Angel Tree donors. And there's another photo of uh, people standing in a room filled with large, large boxes, like four feet tall. And there are multiple black uh, garbage bags full of toys, and they're sorting the toys out. Christine Guevara spent her Saturday paying it forward by pushing around a grocery cart filled with bags of Christmas presents. She was participating in the Salvation Army of Waterloo Cedar Falls annual Angel Tree Distribution event, which hands out clothing, books, and toys to families with children in need in the Cedar Valley. Growing up, her family benefited from similar donation drives. She's now repaying the generosity that her family received. Quote, During Christmas, I do a lot of volunteer work, because that's what the holidays mean, she said. It's about giving back to your community. This is Guevara's second year participating in the Angel Tree event, but she has volunteered for many years with the organization's Christmas dinner. Guevara, along with a handful of other volunteers, waited for families to drive up to the Salvation Army building on Franklin Street in Waterloo. Once given the family's last name, volunteers searched for the large cardboard box that contained gifts for their children. More than 300 families, with a total of 807 children, registered to receive Christmas gifts. That's 104 more children than last year, said Grace Fee, who is the social ministries director. Families registered in October, which was announced through flyers sent to Blackhawk County schools, media releases, and social media posts. Any family in the county with children from newborn to the age of 17 could participate. Parents and guardians provided proof of a child's date of birth, as well as verification of their income. Fee said the organization did not discriminate based on income and looked for need and not a number. Children in the program had an angel tree tag that could be picked by volunteer donors at locations such as Sam Clubs and Walmart. The tag provided information such as age and gender, as well as what the child wants, needs, and likes. Fee said only 11 children did not get picked. When that happens, the Salvation Army still provides those children with gifts. The suggested amount for gifts is $35 to $45 for each child. Many people go beyond that. Quote, we live in a very generous community. This year, the donors got bikes, and we had two families get TVs. We had a child who needed a dresser, and the donor bought them a dresser. Almost $23,000 worth of gifts were donated. The Salvation Arm also gave out $7,640 in fairway gift cards. Depending on family size, gift cards were either for $20 or $35. The organization included the gift cards, which expire December 23rd, in hopes the families will use the money for a holiday dinner. Another change this year was what children requested as gifts. Many asked for essentials, Fee said. Even the children are at the point of identifying their wishes as things for survival. People have been struggling more economically. But the families in aren't in need just during the holidays. Quote, a lot of these families who we work with throughout the year need assistance, 
not just at Christmas, Fee said. They're in need on April 13th when the water is being shut off, and August 8th when the kids are going back to school. They're in need throughout the year. And turning to page two, one dead, one injured in Northeast Iowa UTV crash. This is Dateline Harper's Ferry. One person is dead and a second injured in a UTV crash near Harper's Ferry on Friday. According to the Alamakee County Sheriff's Office, the driver was pronounced deceased at the scene in the area of Coolahan Drive and Mohawk Road. A passenger in the vehicle was transported by Gunderson Air Ambulance to a La Crosse, Wisconsin hospital for medical treatment. The names have not been released pending family notification. The crash happened around 12.03 a.m. Friday when the eastbound vehicle failed to negotiate a right-hand curve in the road. The UTV entered the ditch and rolled over. Assisting at the scene was the Alamakee County Sheriff's Office, Harper's Ferry Fire and Rescue, and the Waterville Ambulance and Veterans Memorial Hospital Ambulance. The accident remains under investigation by the Alamakee County Sheriff's Office. Next story, page two. Police investigate gunfire. Dateline Waterloo. Police are investigating gunshots reported in a Waterloo neighborhood Sunday evening. Residents reported hearing gunfire in the 300 block of Hartman Avenue around 6.33 p.m. Officers found seven spent 9mm shell casings in the roadway, but no injuries or damages were reported. It was the second report of shots in the city Sunday. At 1.30 p.m., patrol officers and some neighbors reported hearing gunfire in the 200 block of Elmwood Street. No jam damages were reported. The next story on page two, Katie Susong named new CEO of Grow Cedar Valley. Grow Cedar Valley has announced Katie Susong, that's S-U-S-O-N-G, as its new president and chief executive officer. Susong will officially start March 18, while current CEO Carrie Dara will retire after Grow Cedar Valley's annual celebration toward the end of March. We had more than 150 very qualified applicants, said Mike Malero, chairperson of the Grow Cedar Valley Board of Directors and CEO of VGM Group. Katie stood out because she has great experience as a business leader in this community. As a voracious volunteer with years of personal networking experience, she offers tremendous reach. Plus, her role at Cardinal sets her up well to lead and champion economic development. Susong has worked as the president and CEO of Cardinal Construction since 2018. As a strategist with an eye on the big picture, Susong placed a specific emphasis on new business development, process refinement, and team development, all skills she'll carry forward in her new role as president and CEO of Grow Cedar Valley. Quote, I know our leadership team would recognize and appoint someone who would continue the positive momentum of the past five to seven years, said Tara. We have someone who will advance what we started. Katie helped craft that initial strategic plan, and I know our executive committee focused on a successor who would continue that growth. As a Grow Cedar Valley board member since 2020, Susong has served in various roles, including Community Development Council chairperson. Her work with Grow Cedar Valley is part of an extensive array of volunteer and community engagement experience. She's a board chairperson for the 
Cedar Falls Economic Development Council, an advisory board member of the Cedar Falls Community Schools Center for Advanced Professional Studies, a Master Builders of Iowa board member on the board of directors for House of Hope and a sustainer representative for the Junior League of Waterloo Cedar Falls. That list doesn't even include her previous work with organizations such as Construction Safety Services of Iowa, the Community Foundation of Northeast Iowa, and the Waterloo Center for the Arts. She is very accomplished, said Malaro. We're thrilled to have this aspirational leader take the helm of Grow Cedar Valley. For Susong, it's an exciting opportunity to go from working in a volunteer capacity to leading the organization. Quote, I have a level of familiarity with Grow Cedar Valley while still bringing in that fresh perspective. I'm excited to focus on economic development, including how we can collaborate and partner with organizations in the community already doing great work to support quality of life efforts and draw people to the community. I'm looking forward to diving in, unquote. That level of excitement is echoed by Dara, who expressed eagerness for the time in which they'll overlap and work together as Dara passes the baton to Susan. Quote, leadership and collaboration are essential skills for this role, said Dara. Katie has the right skill set, and most importantly, she has proven leadership experience and has demonstrated her willingness to collaborate. Susong was quick to note her appreciation for Dara's work. I'm so appreciative of Carrie and the work she has done, said Susong. Our, relation will, uh, our relationship will allow us to transition seamlessly as we look to the future of the organization. Susong also noted how her experience in the construction and development industry will translate well to grow Cedar Valley. I'm excited to represent our greater community to ensure that the Cedar Valley is part of the conversation when talking at the greater state and regional levels. I want to share our unique story and in doing so drive growth, she said. To find out more information about Grow Cedar Valley, you can check them out at growcedarvalley.com. And turning the page, Cedar Falls' new athletic facility hits its funding goal. $5 million raised allows bids to be sought for performance center. An athletic facility planned at the new high school is reaching a big fundraising milestone that will allow for the first phase of construction to move forward. The Tiger Performance Center, which, was, which will be totally funded by private donations, is a proposed addition to the Cedar Falls High School being built in the 2700 block of West 27th. The center has an anticipated price tag of eight to nine million dollars. Considering our current donations, pledges, and pending verbal agreements, or commitments rather, we expect to reach or succeed five million dollars by the end of the year, said Lindsay Coda, who is a member of the Performance Center's fundraising committee. She told the Board of Education last week, we hope that in January, the school board will consider taking the Shields Tiger Performance Center to bid. Fundraisers needed to hit the initial goal so the board could seek bids for the fundings for the building's shell, not including all the interior construction. Fargo, North Dakota-based Shields Sporting Goods, which has a Cedar Falls location, donated a million dollars to the project last year. Martin Brothers Distributing of Cedar Falls was the project's other large donor at 750000 
The 42,800-square-foot facility would include a 200-meter indoor track, two full-sized courts, and indoor turf. Coda said it was also important to make the announcement during the meeting as Joyce Coyle, who is a key member of our committee, leaves the school board. Coyle was appointed to serve the term of a board member who moved out of state until the next election. She did not run November 7 and stepped down later in the meeting as new members were sworn in. Quote, Joyce Cole is responsible for assembling this group, said Coda. She noted that, quote, we started our kickoff event in March of 2022, and we're proud to say that we hit our $5 million goal in 20 months due to her guidance and leadership. Thank you so much for your time, energy, and commitment to Cedar Falls Schools. Coyle had praised or had praise for the rest of the committee members as well. She said they really took this and ran with it, and they were compassionate and committed to the very end, and they know this is just the first phase. But I can't say enough about this group of individuals. They care about the community, they care about the kids, and they care about the school district, and they have given their heart and soul to raise money for our new Tiger Performance Center. Coyle has served 26 years on the board, not all in consecutive terms. Jeff Hassman and Susie Hines were also at their last meeting as board members because they did not run for a new term. Both have served eight years. We want to thank Jeff, Joyce, and Susie for their time on the board, said Cedar Falls Community Schools Superintendent Andy Petit. They had collectively over 40 years between them serving the district and students of Cedar Falls. The five winners of the election were sworn in and seated after departing members were honored. Those include Nate Gruper and Jenny Leeper, who were re-elected, Jeff Orvis, who served previously but wasn't currently on the board, and newcomers Bet Peterson and Megan Witt. Leeper ran to complete the last two years of the term Coyle had been serving. The others were elected to four-year terms. Lowell Stutzman was elected by fellow board members as president. The position Hassman has held, and Leeper was re-elected as vice president. And then it shows uh, headshots of Coyle, Leeper, and Stutzman. Wonderful story. More than 600 graduate at UNI's fall commencement. And there's a large photo that shows 3, 4, 7, 8 by 1, 2, 3, 4, 10. Shows 80. It's a wide shot of 80 graduates sitting there kind of looking at the speaker. And they're all in their caps and gowns. More than 600 students graduated Saturday from the University of Northern Iowa. About two-thirds of the students planned to participate in the commencement ceremony at the McLeod Center. The occasion is especially significant for more than 200 students who identify themselves as first-generation college students. The fall 2023 Panther grads come from a wide variety of backgrounds, representing seven countries, 15 states, and 86 Iowa counties. The University of Northern Iowa graduates high achievers with an average cumulative UNA GPA of 3.38 for undergrad students. 70 students completed their undergraduate degrees with multiple majors. For the third year in a row, graduation rates for UNI students stand at record levels, nearly 20 percentage points above similar universities. One in 11 students graduates in just three years. And then a couple other photos here. There's one of um, families in the crowd waving and clapping to their graduate. 
There's another photo of um, a group of young ladies in their caps and gowns, um, smiling and waving at the camera. Another photo of a couple of uh, graduates who have uh, decorated the tops of their hats. And then another of uh, UNI President Mark Nook speaking during the commencement ceremony at a podium. And some other local news, Mercy One, Seeking Heroes Among Us. The Mercy One, Waterloo, and Cedar Falls Foundations are seeking nominations for Heroes Among Us, which recognizes people in the community who've gone above and beyond to ensure the well-being of others or shown great compassion and courage. Heroes can be anywhere in Northeast Iowa, with the heroic act occurring between January 1 and December 31 of 2023. Nominations are due January 8th at 5 p.m. The categories include community service, individual or group, environmental, which is nature and animal efforts, Good Samaritan, adult over the age of 21, Good Samaritan, people age 20 and younger, medical slash health care, that's physicians, nurses, EMTs, paramedics or caregivers, military, that can be active duty, reserve, guard, individual or group, public safety, firefighter, law enforcement or security officer, workplace, this is a heroic act in a workplace. Nominations can be submitted online at mercyone.org slash heroes, or you can find a form at the Mercy One Foundation offices in Cedar Falls or Waterloo. The Heroes Among Us nomination committee will select winners to be recognized at a breakfast ceremony, March 21 at the Diamond Event Center in Cedar Falls. Questions can be directed to Diane Jorgensen, and that's diane.jorgensen, that's S-E-N, at mercyhealth.com. Then her phone number is 319-268-3161. Next brief. Variety gives Mercy One vision screeners for kids. A grant from Variety, the children's charity, will provide two spot vision screeners to be utilized at the Mercy One Cedar Falls Health Plaza and other Mercy One family practice locations. The screener is a handheld, portable, ocular screening device designed to help quickly and easily detect amblyopia vision issues in patients as young as six months. Variety, the children's charity, awarded a grant of over $14,000 to the Mercy One Waterloo Foundation, which will pay for the screeners to help diagnose vision abnormalities more quickly. One of the screeners um, will be located within the Blue Belt Road Health Plaza in Cedar Falls for the family practice providers. The other will be rotated among the busiest rural family practice locations in Independence, Waverly, Tripola, and LaPorte City. Every year, 5% of children under the age of 5 develop vision abnormalities. These patients are usually unable to voice their concerns about poor vision. This leads to abnormal development of their ocular muscles, resulting in squinting. This requires multiple corrective glasses and a potential need for strabismus or cross-eyed surgery. The spot screeners will help provide an early diagnosis for this preventable condition. And then we have some briefs, metro briefs. 
blood drive to be held in Waterloo. Mercy One Waterloo is inviting the community to join their partnership with LifeServe as at an upcoming blood drive. The event will be from 9 to 1, December 21, at the Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center. The Life Blood, or excuse me, the LifeServe Blood Center is now the sole supplier of all blood and blood products to Mercy One Waterloo. As a community-based blood center, the organization hosts blood drives in the communities where that blood will go back into area hospitals. During the winter months and clement weather, holidays and travel can keep donors from coming in to donate. Tragedy can strike at a moment's notice, especially among, amidst winter weather. You can learn more or schedule a donation at their website, which is lifeservebloodcenter.org, or you can call them, and their phone number is 800-287-490. Our next brief, uh, More Blood. LifeServe Blood Center is holding a blood drive in Cedar Falls, 1230 to 6 on December 26th at the First United Methodist Church on located at 718 Clay Street. Next brief, Youth Art Team receives donation. U.S. Cellular donated $5,000 worth of needed items to the Youth Art Team for the holiday season. The donation included furniture, apparel, and art supplies to support the organization's mission to bring together students from a variety of backgrounds and life situations to complete exceptional works of art through a process that values student voices in decision-making. Items included four vintage library chairs, branded beanies for a holiday party, and art supplies that include big drawing pads, mechanical drawing pencils, printer ink, sketchbooks, sponges, and white erasers. This is among 40 Gift of Connection nonprofit donations to organizations across the country in honor of U.S. Cellular's 40th anniversary. Our next brief, Red Cattle Campaign in the Final Week. The bells of the Salvation Army will once again become silent at 6 p.m. Saturday. The Red Cattle Campaign is not only the most visible Salvation Army fundraiser, but also the biggest donation drive of the year. And currently, the Salvation of Waterloo Cedar Falls sits at just 49% of its overall goal of $651,000. The annual campaign helps fund year-round programs and services. If you are unable to make it to one of your lo local Salvation Army kettles, you can donate through one of the options here. One is you can do it online at northeastiowaredkettle.org. If you would like to make a text donation, you can text uh, the word kettles to 51555. You can send a donation by snail mail to P.O. Box 867, Waterloo, 50704. Or you can take your donation in person to their office. That's the Salvation Army of Waterloo Cedar Falls, and they are located at 89 Franklin Street in Waterloo. That brings us to the halfway point of today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Tuesday, December 19th. This year is flying by. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and here's your reminder that you're listening to IRIS, and all material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of people with blindness or print um, barriers. 
Our first obituary today, Sandra Jo Brash, or Brash, it's B-R-A-S-C-H, age 77, died Friday, December 15, at the Western Home Communities. Um, her services will take place Friday, December 22nd, 10 a.m. at the Heartland Vineyard Church in Waterloo. Visitation, Thursday, from 4 to 7, at the Richardson Funeral Service in Cedar Falls. An inurnment will take place at the Washington Chapel Cemetery in rural Cedar Falls at a later date. Kenneth E. Benda, that's B-E-N-D-A, Laporte City, uh, passed away December 14 at the Laporte City Specialty Care Facility. Services will be Friday, December 22nd, 10.30 a.m. at the St. Paul United Methodist Church in LaPorte City. Visitation, 4 to 6 p.m. Thursday, December 21st, also at the St. Paul United Methodist Church in LaPorte City. And Sandra K. Sheffert, that's S-C-H-E-F-F-E-R-T, uh, age 79, of Waterloo, passed away Saturday, December 9 at Mercy One Medical Center. Services, Friday, December 22nd, 10 a.m. at the Crossroads Community Church of the Nazarene in Waterloo. There will be a public visitation Thursday, December 21, from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Haggerty Wakeoff Grarup Funeral Service uh, on South Street. There will also be visitation one hour prior to the service on Friday at the church. Now we'll turn to the opinions. Um, letters to the editor. This first one comes from Jacob Taylor, who is committee chair of Simon for City Council. Few people will ever know the extent to which Democrats, Republicans, and independents worked together to elect Steve Simon to the Waterloo City Council. Whether it be his core campaign team, endorsers, or individuals promoting him behind the scenes, this marked one of the only times in Waterloo history that high-profile members of both parties worked closely together, united behind one candidate. Simon's campaign demonstrated real and true bipartisanship in an era where partisan politics routinely divides families. It was a beautiful thing. That's what local elections can be and should be. The narrow scope of local government strips away so many things that divide us at the national or even state level. The question shouldn't be so much whether local elections are nonpartisan. Rather, we should strive to make these races bipartisan, united in doing the best for our cities. And that's from Jacob Taylor, rather, committee chair for Simon for City Council. Our next letter comes from Chris Bronco, that's B-R-U-N-K-O, of Waterloo. In response to Steve Wilkert's letter of December 2, um, thank you, you hit the nail on the head about everything Trump. There's no reason this quote-unquote person should be even allowed to run. Why do so many people like him? No, Biden isn't doing a good job either. As for Governor Reynolds, she only has two things going for her, not supporting Trump, and banning books about sexuality. Kindergartner through sixth grade students 
need to learn about everything, but not about sexual identity. The kids will learn this later in life on their own. And that's from Chris Bronco of Waterloo. Next letter to the editor comes from Kamyar and Cheyenne. I'll spell that for you. E-N-S-H-A-Y-A-N of Cedar Falls. And they write, What is poisoning the blood of our country is the hate and fear Mr. Trump is spreading. He has no other idea. No one supports illegal immigration, and yet Congress refuses to develop a coherent policy. What is poisoning our blood here in Iowa is, quote-unquote, less government, leading to the unregulated and extreme use of nitrogen fertilizer and the out-of-control use of poisonous pesticides, literally poisoning this American land, leading to reproductive health problems, some cancers, and neurodevelopmental disorders among children. In Iowa, it is the unregulated massive livestock operations polluting the air, poisoning the bloodstream of rural residents near them. And that was from Kamyar and Cheyenne. Next comes from Len Froyan of Cedar Falls. An organization tells its story by claiming what the membership includes in their lives. Thursday's Courier front page article, The Season of Giving, illuminated the service activities of those who belong to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. I particularly liked the way the organization's mission statement was illustrated and validated by the interplay of remarks from the volunteers and recipients. I thought the narrative and pictures depicting the program and practices of the organization um, told the story that magnifies the holiday spirit of giving. And that was from Len Froyan of Cedar Falls. And the next letter, the final letter to the editor, comes from Steve Kapler of Waterloo. Steve writes, Under Roe v. Wade, abortion killed over 65 million American unborn babies. So much for rare, and so much for Americans' claim to be the world's model for civility, compassion, and inclusion. Abortion is their very antithesis. Yet MAGA, make abortion great again extremist Democrats, hope to codify virtually unrestricted abortion in multiple state constitutions in 2024. Science is clear regarding the genesis of human reproduction. With the fusion of sperm and ovum, a new human life exists. We're talking basic biology. Fertilization renders talk about reproductive choice irrelevant. Genetically speaking, Reproduction has already occurred. Courts use human DNA as legal proof of an individual's unique identification. Why deny that same legal standard to pre-born human lives? Half of all lives reproduced are females, future mothers. How does abortion advance their dignity? Tortured language cannot hide a grim reality. Aborting innocent life has collectively cheapened the value of life for all of us. Abortion is what it is. It does what it does. Every abortion kills innocent human life, whether it be by pill, coat hanger, high-powered suction, or forceps. I once knew a better country. Ask yourselves, who would be person of the year had Taylor Swift been aborted? And that was from Steve Kapler of Waterloo. Now we have a series of political cartoons, and I'll try to describe them as best I can. It says, Drawn-out debate, political cartoonists from around the country 
react to the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And their signatures are so tiny, I can't read them. So the first, it shows Santa in a chair and an elephant in a suit is sitting on Santa's lap. And there's a little word on the elephant's suit that says GOP. And a thought bubble coming from the elephant says, I want evidence to impeach Biden. And then a thought bubble coming from Santa says, you don't have the goods. Next political cartoon. Um, it shows Hunter Biden standing at a podium. He's wearing a suit and he has, uh, looks like he's been splattered with green paint. And uh, his thought bubble says, my father was not financially involved in my business. Next to him is Joe Biden in a suit and he has green handprints all over his body, all over his suit. Um, now we have uh, what looks like a drawing of uh, Jack Smith at a podium. No, I'm sorry, Hunter Biden at a podium with multiple microphones standing in front of the, or the uh, United States Capitol. And he is saying, besides the emails, recorded calls, WhatsApp messages, text messages, bank records, and whistleblower testimony, there's absolutely zero evidence that my father was financially involved in my business dealings. Next, we have uh, Speaker, uh, House, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, at a podium. And instead of the House of Representatives seal on the podium, it says, that's all, folks. And he is saying into the podium, the eyes have it and the impeachment of Hunter Biden will proceed. And then Jim Jordan, without a jacket, because he's famous for not wearing a jacket, whispers, that's Joe Biden, not to get all technical. And then the final political cartoon, um, it shows two panels. At the top, um, in a yellow box, the word impeachment, dot, 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 goes across both panels. And these are those um, break glass in case of emergency boxes. There's an axe inside and a little hammer on a chain next to it. So on the left, it's got a break glass in case of emergency and the word then. And in the right panel, the wording is casually open door whenever you have an axe to grind. And it shows the trunk of an elephant uh, reaching in and grabbing the axe. And the, under that is the word now. So then and now. There's another article. Iowa Farmers of Color Hold Des Moines Event. It's first such a gathering in the state to share resources and connections. Dateline Des Moines. Farmers of color from across Iowa gathered for the first time on Saturday in Des Moines, sharing resources and forming connections they say will help minority farmers succeed in the state. Organized by Todd Western III, the inaugural Iowa Farmers of Color Conference brought together black farmers in Iowa to network and find resources that can help them improve and innovate. Nearly 100 people, some farmers and others working in other areas of agriculture, attended the conference. Western, who lives near Minneapolis and farms his family-owned land, near New Sharon and Waterloo, was inspired to start the conference after visiting the Harvest Ball in North Carolina, which is a national gathering of black farmers. Western said until recently he only knew of one other black farmer who was his neighbor. 
I was just so overwhelmed with the camaraderie, the community, the networking, and the friendships of black farmers coming together, he said. I have to do this up north, he said. Western's family has owned his Iowa farmland for more than 150 years, where they grow corn and soybeans. His ancestors settled the land near New Sharon in 1864 after buying their freedom from slavery in Virginia, he said. He's one of only about 72 black farmers in Iowa, according to the 2017 Census of Agriculture. There aren't any formal organizations that connect Iowa's black farmers, and breaking down those silos and connecting farmers of color was a major goal of the conference, he said. Ryan Madison, who operates Mad Acre Farms in Gladbrook, which grows specialty crops, said he does not know any other black farmers in the area. It's always nice to see someone that looks like you that's doing farming, he said. There's not too many people of color farming in Iowa, so it's kind of nice seeing people that look like you doing the same thing that you're doing. Madison said he's found a welcoming community where he farms, but he faced discrimination initially trying to buy land in Iowa. When he walked upon land he was planning to buy for an agreed-upon inspection, the owner called the police and accused him of trespassing, he said, and then pulled their offer to sell the land. God works in mysterious ways because it actually worked out perfectly for us because we've got awesome neighbors, he said. Ricky King, a genealogist who is working on a project on the history of black farmers in Iowa, said it's important to show that Iowa has a long history of black farmers cultivating the land. There have been farmers of color in Iowa since it became a territory in the 1830s, including a group of 50 people who settled in Fayette County in 1854. Quote, I didn't know there was black farmers in Iowa just until last year, she said. And besides this event, we need to have other events just spotlighting farmers of any minority, and that's my goal. But despite that history, Iowa's black farmers are disconnected, isolated, and face unique challenges, conference speakers said. Dwayne Goldman, the USDA Senior Advisor for Racial Equity, said uniting black farmers who have sh a shared history and face similar problems can help connect them to people and resources that they need. When you're a black farmer, a farmer of color, you have to fight all the issues that all the other farmers fight, but you also have to fight isolation, he said. Too often, discrimination then comes with that, and you feel like you operate in a vacuum. The isolation sometimes leads to a lack of understanding around loan programs, federal assistance, and business opportunities, said Sylvester Miller II, who is a U.S. crop technology marketing manager at FMC, who farms in Michigan and Arkansas. Speakers at the conference highlighted a number of federal programs through the USDA and local nonprofits that are designed to aid black farmers and other minority farmers who have been historically left out of the department's loan programs. In 1999, the U.S. government settled a lawsuit alleging it had discriminated against black farmers in allocating loans and federal assistance. Much of the promised payments did not reach the farmers that they were intended to help, and in 2010, Congress spent $1.2 billion in another round of payouts. An NPR analysis from February found that black farmers are still disproportionately denied 
from USDA programs. 36% of black farmers were approved for direct loan applications in 2022, while 72% of white farmers were approved. Under President Joe Biden's administration, the USDA and other agencies were charged with promoting equity and inclusion initiatives. Two recent government programs are designed to address historic discrimination in agriculture, Goldman said. One program, part of the American Rescue Plan of 2021, provides debt forgiveness for socially disadvantaged farmers. Another, the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, included in the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, provides financial assistance to people who were discriminated against in farm lending programs. Quote, we acknowledge the useless, useless and painful history of discrimination. We're going to draw a line in the sand and give you a better, give you rather better access to resources, capital, personnel as we go forward, Goldman said. It's important that we do that. It's important for agriculture that we do that. Western said he's planning to make the conference an annual event and find ways to engage the group between the annual conferences. He said he hopes Iowa's black farmers continue to lean on the network that was developed at the conference. For those individuals that attended this, to have a connection point now so that they can call anytime they want to, to these subject matter experts throughout the year, he said. Ultimately, that we have a community now that we can communicate with throughout the year and that we all then benefit with higher yields, lower costs, and a great bountiful harvests. And the sports page, um, big story. UNI explodes on offense, defense needs work. And the headline is a non-con wrong. Good offense, bad defense. Northern Iowa junior guard Nate Heiss, that's H-E-I-S-E, said the Panthers' 100-82 win Sunday at the McLeod Center over Alcorn State could be summed up simply with those four words. Good offense, bad defense. Offensively, we were great, I thought. A lot of people played well offensively, but defensively, there is still some work to do. UNI coach Ben Jacobson brought similar takeaways from the game when discussing his team's 18-point win. Offensively, the guys are playing with great confidence. Very unselfish, he said. They are moving the ball. They're taking the right shots. The guys feel good about the way they're playing on that end of the floor. And then defensively, when you are going that way on offense, if you can guard the dribble and rebound the ball, you have a chance to really get away. The Panthers got hot early on the offensive end, and the Braves could not keep pace as UNI went 34 of 60 from the field as a team. UNI earned its first 10-point lead of the game with 8.38 remaining in the half as Bowen Bourne connected on a pair of free throws, putting the Panthers ahead 32-22. After taking a 10-point lead, UNI outscored Alcorn State 30-19 to close out the first half including a 14-4 run over the final three minutes of action to take a 21-point, 62-41 lead into the break. Heist bookended the run with a pair of three-pointers to finish the first half as the game's leading score was 17 points on a 6-of-6 six six shooting clip, 4-of-4 four from deep. Bourne added 11 points for the Panthers. The offense really flowed for us tonight, he said. 
we had a lot of guys playing really well and being super aggressive. The Panthers' end-of-half run extended nearly five minutes into the second half as UNI outdid Alcorn State 12-5 in the first four minutes and 34 seconds of the second frame to make it a 26-9 surge from the Panthers. During the run, UNI shot 9 of 11 from the field, 3 of 3 from three-point range, and 5 of 5 at the free-throw line, while Titan Anderson did the most damage with 9 points. At the conclusion of the run, with 15-26 remaining in regulation, UNI held a 28-point, 74-46 lead. Alcorn State, however, managed to trim into the Panthers' final advantage and outscored UNI by 10 over the final 15 minutes of action. Defensively, we're not even close to where we need to be, Jacobson said. It really starts with guarding the basketball, and guarding the basketball starts with having the mentality that you are going to guard the basketball. A lot of it is physical, and your ability to move your feet and your ability to take guys in the chest, but the bigger component is what you think about it and how you think about it and the importance of it. We have work to do there. Heist finished the game with 24 points, marking back-to-back games with 20 or more, and third career game with more than 20. Heist finished 8 of 9 from the field, 5 of 6 from three-point land, and 3 of 3 from the free-throw line. The junior did not miss his first shot of the contest until uh, 10 minutes 36 seconds remained in the second half. Anderson scored 22, Bourne added 17 points, and Michael Duax finished with 10 to give UNI a quartet of double-digit scorers. Jeremiah Kendall scored 23 to lead Alcorn State, while Jeremiah Gambrell scored 20. Up next, the Panthers faced off against Northern Illinois on the road to cap off regular season non-conference play. That game tips off from the Convocation Center in DeKalb, Illinois, 7 p.m. Thursday, December 21. Coverage will be on ESPN Plus and the Panther Sports Radio Network. The game will be the Panthers' final contest before the new year as UNI does not return to action until Wednesday, January 3rd for a road game against Missouri Valley Conference foe Missouri State. And that brings us to the end of the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier today, um, Tuesday, December 19th. I've been your reader, Mary Francis, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. We're so glad to have you listening. Have a great day.
Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. The truth is, the benefits of opioids are limited. Opioids only mask the pain. Opioids also come with serious side effects, ranging from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. As many as 25% of people who are prescribed opioids struggle with addiction. And those who are addicted to opioids are 40 times more likely to move on to heroin. No one wants to live in pain, but no one should put their health at risk to be pain-free. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise, no warning labels required, and you get to be an active participant in your care. Choose to treat your pain safely. Choose physical therapy. Visit moveforwardpt.com to find a physical therapist near you. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.